Well, good morning. It's good to be here with you all this morning. Kids, you guys are welcome to head upstairs. Oh, downstairs. My bad. Downstairs. Upstairs in nursery, uh, people will get mad, and they'll get mad at me, not you. Uh, but I hope you guys have been having a great week. This spring break hasn't been too exhausting for any of the parents here that are suddenly trying to juggle work and kids and all the rest of life. But I'm excited. I, I really enjoy this good weather that we've had the last two days. It's tricked me into thinking that summer has come. Uh, I even tried wearing shorts, which it's not warm enough for shorts yet, just in case you're wondering. It's still too cold. But we're in our series, Running to Life from Death. And last week, we talked about this new kind of life that Christ came to earth to bring. Because we're talking about Easter, and Easter is the action. It's the big moment of Christ coming to earth and what he came for, Christ's victory over death, how God invites us into that victory. But it's great to be like, oh, there's a new kind of life, but we're running from we're running to life from death. And what's that death that we're running from? Why does it even matter? Like, okay, there's a new kind of life, but what's that death that we're running from? So that's what we're going to dig into a little bit today. Uh, before we get into it, though, I'd love to pray with you and invite God into this moment. God, we're here this morning, and we've each been through our own challenges in this week, whether it's with our family, whether it's challenges at work, whether it's challenges in our own heart, in our own life. And sometimes they feel just down to earth and practical and like things you can't affect that we just have to get through on our own. Sometimes they feel like things that are bigger than we can get through on our own. But when we show up here on Sunday morning, we want to not just set aside life and focus on our faith. We want to show up and bring our life and let you speak into the things that we don't even know how you could change, but that we need you to work in, that we want to live our lives differently, that we want to experience a new kind of life in you. So I pray this morning as we study what you've shared about yourself and about who you create us to be in Scripture, that you would, you would speak into our moments of our lives, that next week would look a little bit different than last week because of who you are and what you're doing. In your name, amen. Okay, so looking at what this death is, the title of the sermon is Death at the Door. It sounds a little dramatic, but death at the door, because in the Easter story, there was a death that had to be overcome. The death was not far off. It was very present, and it was trying to win. Spiritual death was trying to win. In our own lives, death is at the door, and death is trying to to win. Spiritual death is trying to win in our lives. And, it's, and it sounds very serious, but I'm going to share a little bit less serious of the story um, to start to get us thinking about this. Because this is a little Michael story. At one point, I was a little, I don't know, I was probably between five and eight. I hope that I was five, but I was probably closer to eight when this story happened. And that makes it a little bit more embarrassing. But do you guys remember when you were young enough you're old enough that you understood what a gift was, but you were young enough that you, could, didn't, you couldn't afford to buy it yourself. Well, that stage of childhood. So I was a little kid, and I knew about gifts, and I think it was like Mother's Day coming up, and I was excited because my mom was taking me to Kmart to buy a gift for her with her money. 
awesome. I love it. I wish I could go back to those days where I just, I'm like, oh, it's your anniversary coming up. Let me get you an anniversary gift. Just give me your credit card. Thank you. Anyways, so I'm going to Kmart to get a gift for my mom for Mother's Day with her money. And I, we're walking through the store and we walk down an aisle and I see the perfect gift. I look at this gift and I'm like, that, that would be my dream gift. This is such a good gift. I love it. It's perfect. So I select it. My mom goes and we go through checkout and she pays for it, take it home. And my mom was perceptive. She was, trying, she was trying to work with me, but she was perceptive because I had found the perfect gift for me. And I had this good intention because I had this good intention where I was like so excited to get a gift for my mom. But I found the perfect gift for me. And I was like, this is great. I'll give it to my mom. She'll be so happy to get this great gift. But then, but then she'll go, you know what, Michael? I don't actually really need this. I'll give it back to you. This is my plan. And so when I tried to give my mom the best super, super soaker I'd ever found, it, was, it wasn't like the pull the trigger type. It was like the pump it up type. Oh, so it was like a launcher. I was like, this is great. My mom's like, Michael, you got sidetracked somewhere along there. Because if it's a good gift, only because you're going to get it in the end, then you're not actually giving a good gift. And so you can't do that you got to go back to the store and actually get a real gift for me. And it was funny because I had these good intentions, and somewhere along the line, it just got a little bit twisted and a little bit selfish. Instead of giving a good gift, it was actually, if, if I'd been a little bit older, it would have been pretty hurtful to my mom that I was being so selfish and taking over. And that was a moment of just something where you just have all these good intentions, and then it just gets sidetracked. And I haven't outgrown that. I wish I could say that I haven't outgrown that, but I haven't. Because even this week as I was preparing the sermon, I was like, oh yeah, this is, a fun, this is a fun topic. I know about this. My wife asked me to help her with a budget thing. And she's like, hey, can you help me with this budget thing? And I'm like, yeah, I'll be a nice person. I'll be helpful. I'll help you figure out this budget thing. And as I start to figure out this budget thing with her, while I'm doing this good thing, I'm like, wait, I can also get out some of my frustrations about something with her and start throwing some jabs in there. And thankfully, I hit the brakes halfway through, but it was not good. And all my good intentions just got sidetracked and it turned into a place of selfishness and hurt towards her and damage to our relationship. I don't think I'm the only one who's like that. There's so many different places in our life where we have good intentions. And you're like, okay, my kid's been acting up. Maybe, you're the, maybe you, you're, you haven't been a parent yet, and so you're like, I don't know what discipline's like, but you've been on the receiving end of it, I'm sure. But you know when you go to discipline your kid, and you're like, okay, I've got to be a good parent. Like even the Bible says, if you love your kids, you discipline them. So you go to discipline your kid as a loving parent, and then suddenly as you're starting to do it, you're like, wait, this is a good chance to... You don't even think about it, but suddenly it's a good place to vent out some of your anger or your frustration or whatever's going on, and that gets into the discipline. And suddenly this good, loving thing that you need to do with your kid becomes this incredibly hurtful, damaging thing as you take out your anger on them. And you go, what just happened? It got off track. 
And it can happen in our careers. It can happen in our school. It can happen in our family where we're like, I need to be successful. And that's a good thing to be successful, right? It's like, it's good to get good grades at school and learn everything. It's good to be successful in your work and get promotions and get a good paycheck and provide for your family. It's good to raise your family well and have this beautiful family where all your family pictures are you guys smiling and happy with each other. But suddenly that good intention can get sidetracked and can become about your image and looking good and looking like you're successful and you'll do anything to get that family photo where everybody's smiling, even if it involves some threats. And you'll start to be trying to get good grades and succeed in your school and your education in a way that is damaging to your friendships and damaging to other parts of your health. And maybe you're not even reading your Bible because you're so busy studying. And if you're busy working, that same thing happens to you. You can get so focused on this good thing of being successful in your career, providing for your family, that suddenly you mistreat your family. And you find yourself doing things that might not be the most ethical to be successful because being successful and caring for your family is a good thing. This happens all in our life. And that's death at the door. That's death sneaking into our lives because we don't start out with bad intentions and go, oh, I'm just going to do something bad today. I'm just going to bring death into the world. But with, when we go out with our good intentions, sometimes it leads to death. When I go out with the good intention of helping my wife figure something out with the budget, suddenly I start bringing death into our relationship and into her life through the way that I'm speaking as I'm trying to help her, but also hurt her. We go to work for a good reason, but suddenly we find that we're doing things that are bringing death into the world and death inside of our own spirits. We're like, what's going wrong here? And this series, when we're talking about running to life from death, that's the death that we are running from. That death that just pops up in every moment of our lives. That death that just sneaks into the best made plans. And it's funny because you would think that if you were a perfect human, you would never have death try to sneak into your life. You're like, if I was just a holier person, if I was just a better person, I wouldn't have this happen to me. If I were just love Jesus a little bit more, this wouldn't happen to me. But what's funny is if we actually look at Jesus' life, it seemed that it snuck up in his life, and you can't be a better person than Jesus. But let's look at this together. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, we get to see what it looks like for death to be at the door in Jesus' life. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. That's just an interesting start. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, God led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. God, let, following God's good plan, following the leading of the Holy Spirit, actually led Jesus into a place where he experienced temptation from the devil. So experiencing temptation from the devil doesn't mean that you're out of line with where God's taking you necessarily. It might be part of the journey of where God's taking you involves dealing with this temptation. And what's also interesting right now, I just want to point out, where this happened in the time of Jesus. Jesus lived on earth for 33 years. The first 30, he mostly just lived life. We don't know much about it. And then the last three years was the time of his ministry, where he taught, he did miracles. He proved that not only was he fully human, he was fully God. 
He introduced people to what this new kind of life was. And this story happens right before his three years of ministry. He's about 30 years old. Before he goes in this time of ministry, before he does what he came to earth to do in the public sense, God leads him out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. For 40 days and nights, he fasted and became very, very hungry. It says very hungry, but I'd throw two varies in because I would be very, very hungry after 40 days and 40 nights. And during this time, the devil came and said to him, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Not a bad thing. Like you're starving out in the wilderness, make some bread for yourself. Like you're God, you can do it. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you're the son of God, just jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. If you're God, just prove it to everybody. Just jump off the temple in the middle of the city. Everybody will see it. They'll know that you're God. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. So then the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. They looked around, they saw all the nations, all the powers, all the kings, every person, every nation of the world. And their glory. And Satan says, I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. What's interesting here is you're like, why is this a conversation? You have to realize that Jesus had not spent three years teaching and preaching and doing miracles, proving that he was God yet and showing people the life that he was calling them to. He had not died on the cross yet. He had not died one most humanly painful deaths you can possibly die. He had not experienced physical and spiritual death so that he could overcome it. And so when Satan says, hey, all you have to do is get down on your knees and worship me, he's offering him the way to do what he came to earth to do. Because Jesus came to earth to establish his kingdom, to say, I am king over the earth. It's no longer Satan's place. It's mine. And establish his kingdom on earth. That's why Jesus came to earth. And so he had this good plan, this good intention. And Satan's just showing up and saying, hey, knock, knock. I've got a plan. You can do all that just by worshiping me for a minute. You can like, he could have just been like, oh, we all know this is kind of a joke that I'm God and that Satan's not. And it's not a big deal that I'm just worshiping for a minute. I can skip the death and the crucifixion and the separation from the father and three years of hard work. I can skip all of that and just get there and accomplish the good work that God brought me to earth to do. There's an option to do that right here. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says, get out of here, Satan. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. That's what death knocking at the door looks like. It wasn't that Jesus was somebody that struggled in life as like 
was weak in his faith. Jesus had the perfect relationship with the Father. He was showing us what it looked like perfectly to follow God as a human. And, in his, and he knew the plans that God had for him. He knew why he was on earth and what God had called him to. And even for Jesus, death came knocking at the door saying, hey, let's save us three years and a lot of pain and struggle and difficulties. Let's just jump three years ahead. Let's just accomplish it the quick and easy way. And Jesus had to say no to that. But it's interesting because sometimes when we think of death in our lives, we think of what Jesus was dealing with where say, death is kind of like Satan knocking at the door saying, hey, I've got a plan for you. You know that good thing that you need to accomplish? You know how you need to discipline your kid? Well, you can discipline your kid, but you know what? If you, they just fear your anger, then they will behave really well. So how about you just do the easy way and do that? We think of it knocking on the outside, trying to get in. And we lose track of what's really going on. Because in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, Paul describes something interesting. Paul says this. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Once you were spiritually dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. That sounds terrible. Who would have God, Satan as a commander in their life? Who would let the devil be the commander of their life? Like, who would do that? Oh, shoot. All of us used to live in that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. And the thing is, we often think that we start life in this place where Satan's trying to get into our life. And we forget that part of being human is actually being born with Satan inside the house. Death is not knocking on the door on the outside. Death is in your house when you are born. Satan is trying to speak death into your life when you are as default. He's there saying, hey, your good intentions, I've got lots of ways to get those done and take that off track. We start our lives spiritually dead. We don't start in this new kind of life. We start in death. We're born in enemy territory. I think of, when we think of wars, and you think, of, so there's wars you can think of where there's clearly the right side and the wrong side. But do you ever imagine what it'd be like to be born on the wrong side? To be born in this nation where you know that you guys are doing evil and that you're on the wrong side? All of us spiritually start being born on the wrong side. We're born in enemy territory. We're born with the commander of our life being Satan. And he's trying to lead us into that and have us live the spiritually dead life that will eventually kill us entirely. And so that means that there's kind of two steps to this process. If you want to run to life, the first thing you have to do is say, death, there's not a place in this house anymore. Death, I need you out of the house. (laughs) Because we start life with death trying to hold the door shut. Death at the door is death trying to hold the door shut, saying, don't let God in. Don't let God into your life. 
Don't let that kind of life, let him speak life into you. Don't let him take your good intentions and actually bring them to life and do what God created you for. Keep doing what I want you to do, not what God made you for. And sometimes when you're like, oh, well, I, with my power, with my self-will, I'm going to do what's right no matter what. But in our own strength, and our own ability as humans, when we keep doing that, we keep finding that every good thing we do, as much as we try to become selfless people, as much as we try to become peacemaking people, as much as we try to become generous people, there's only so much we can change what's going on inside of us when death is living inside of us. It just won't change. It just won't happen. And so the first thing God asks us to do is say, hey, I need a savior. I need God to come and change who's in control of my life. Me as a human being in control of my life, I just keep getting human results and that's not the results that I want to see. I want to see the results that God can give in my life. And so maybe, maybe letting him be Lord, let him be in control of my life, and maybe let him be the Savior and say, I can't do this on my own, is step one. And when we ask God to be Lord and Savior of our life, he says, okay, death, you're out of the house now. I'm in the house. My spirit has come to live in you. The spirit of God, the spirit of life has come to live in you. So suddenly death is at the outside. Suddenly the default is for God to be speaking into your life and working your spirit to make you be somebody that brings life into the world and peace and joy and kindness and gentleness and self-control. But once you're there, then you're in the same seat as Jesus was in in this passage that we read. The spirit was in Jesus, but death kept knocking. Death didn't give up and say, okay, it's time to go home. The Holy Spirit's living in Jesus, so there's no point. No, death keeps coming knocking and says, hey, you know what God's called you to do? You know the opportunities God's given you? And how you're trying to do that? I want to take control of that. And it's funny because it can pop up anywhere. Every time the leadership team of this church gets together and they meet and they say, what's God called us to do as a church community? How are we going to accomplish that? Death is knocking at the door saying, hey, you know how you want to do this and that? You want, know how we want to serve more people and serve our community? I've got some ideas for how you could get there easier, you know? You could start requiring that people give this much money and they attend this much. And they, you could take control that's not yours to take to get this done easy, faster. We can get to what God's called us to faster and easier. I've been part of leadership teams trying to make those decisions and we've fallen for it and we brought death into the church because we weren't holding the door. We weren't blocking the door. We were like, oh, that sounds like a good idea. Let's try that. And death came into our church and we hurt people. It was destructive trying to take control that God didn't have for us to take. But here's the thing. We didn't know better. We thought it was a good idea. We didn't realize that was death knocking at the door. We thought that was a, just a good idea because we didn't know God's directions. We didn't hear what God had said about how to do the good thing that we were called to do. We didn't know it was a bad idea. Because when we look at how Jesus responded 
to these temptations, to death. He didn't go, oh, I can tell that's a bad idea. I just feel it in my bones. No. Jesus, every time he quoted scripture back to Satan and said, this is why what you're calling me to do isn't the way that God wants me to do it. And so as followers of Jesus, with the Holy Spirit living in us, when death comes and knocks at the door, the way to throw the deadbolt, to barricade the door, is to know the will of God and to know God's ways of doing what he does. Because Jesus knew the way that God wanted to accomplish bringing new life into this world, of establishing the kingdom. He said, nope, jumping off the temple is not the way to show how powerful God is and that I'm, that I'm not just another human. No, making these, loaves, these rocks into loaves of bread isn't the way that God has for me right now. And so in our lives, as we follow God, as we raise kids, as we live life, as we have friendships, as we go to work, God's inspired us. God, we know many good things that God's called us to. But as we do that, we have to keep listening to God's voice and not just do the right thing any way that we can figure out, but actually do the right thing the right way. We have to, and to do the right thing the right way, we have to know God's ways of doing it. We need to be reading the Bible Find a way to be in the Bible every day of our life so we know God's voice. We need to be in prayer, discerning God's leading. Because when death is trying to take us off track, God's not silent. If you ask and you just look for God's voice, he will yell at you if he needs to, to say, hey, this is the wrong way to get there. But if you're just busy trying to get through life on your own, you're just muscling through it, then you might miss it. But if you're spending time with God, you're listening for his voice through scripture, through prayer, oftentimes through the community around you, through your care group, through your Bible study group, God will say, hey, that's not my voice. That's not my idea. Lock the door. Say, no, this is not the way that I'm going to do the good things that God's called me to do. And the big picture It's interesting because we're so thank as we look forward to Easter, we're so thankful to get to celebrate this resurrection, that Christ overcame death, that he died for us, and then he came back to life and he conquered death and he brought his kingdom, he brought this new life. We're so excited for that. But right here, Jesus had three opportunities to try to do the right thing the wrong way and we wouldn't have Easter. We wouldn't get to celebrate it the way that we did if he had not locked the door and said, no, death, you're not winning this time. Life has a different way. The way of this new kind of life looks different than what you're saying to me. And I'm going to wait for it. I'm going to do the hard way. I'm going to do the way that God's called me to, because that's how we actually win. In our own lives, there's so many opportunities that God is giving each one of us. Whether it's our marriage, our relationship with our husband or our wife, whether it's your kids or your grandkids that you're having a hard time with, whether it's a friend at school, whether it's trying to find success in your work or your education, wherever you're going, there's those opportunities where God's like, I want to bring a new kind of life in you through this. 
I want to bring this new kind of life into the community that you're in, into your marriage, into your friendship, into your school, into your workplace. But if we don't lock the door, we won't see that. But if we go, okay, God, I'm going to listen for your voice. I'm going to discern your will here. I'm going to do things your way. Then we get to see Christ bring his kind of life into every part of our lives. So I just encourage you, if you know that maybe you're still living in death, maybe you've never actually asked God to be the Lord and Savior and for his spirit to live in you and kick death out, don't waste time waiting and trying to do stuff longer in your own strength. It's time to deal with that. But if you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time and the Holy Spirit lives in you, make sure that you're growing at discerning God's voice in prayer and scripture and in the church community, that you're listening for God's voice so you do the good that God's called you to in his way and death doesn't take control. All right, I'm going to invite the worship team up as, and close us up in prayer. God, we're so thankful to read about what this experience that Jesus had 2,000 years ago that he had the courage, that he had the discipline, that he had the knowledge of your leading, your plans to say no to the temptations that he faced. They said no to death taking control of your plans for life. But I pray over this church community, I pray over each person here, that this week, as they're just trying to live life, as they're just trying to do the normal things of life, make lunch, make dinner, go to school, write a test, Go to work, get your job done. I pray that in those ordinary parts of life that you would reveal your way, that you would reveal how you want to bring life to that. That we become sensitive to death knocking and saying, hey, I've got a better way. That we would be able to say no to that. That we would stop ourselves. That when we see death popping up, when we see death creeping into your good plans, that we would say no. That we would let trust in your ways your ways that are hard, your ways that are humble, your ways that involve pain and suffering sometimes, but your ways that bring true spiritual life into us and into our community. We thank you that you are so faithful to bring that life if we let you. In your name, Jesus, amen.